Welcome to NREI's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at NREIOnline.com. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to The Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. Let's dive into this week's stories. Hello, David. How are you? I am doing well. How are you this week? I am doing fantastic. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to be with you again. We are at year end. It's the holidays. It's always nice around this time yeah. of year. And, but it's just so stinking cold still, <laughs> which I guess we should expect. Yes. Well, we, we, had, um, we had a squall in New York City yesterday, which a lot of people had never heard of before. I was just going to ask you, what, what's a squall? <laughs> it's just a small, like a, a short and intense snowstorm. It lasts less than a half an hour, but it's just like a very intense band of snow that kind of like came through the whole region. And it was kind of funny because everybody in the office got alerts from the National Weather Center. So you hear like that high pitched alert on everybody's phone. And then everyone's like, what's a squall? (laughs) (laughs) And then there's Googling squall everywhere. Yeah. And then, um, and then, and then from our office, we actually have, we have some nice views from our office and we actually see the, you know, from where I sit can see the Empire State Building. Nice. Which is a few blocks away. And then as you know, we, we got this alert about a half hour before the squall comes in and then you just see the sky go from fairly, you know, it, it seemed fairly clear, very rapidly turned gray. Then suddenly we couldn't even see the Empire State Building, and then it was snowing really hard for about you know twenty or thirty minutes, and then it just passed right through and got kind of clear again. So, huh. guess these alerts—they're not sure what, what what it is. Everyone's on Google or you look <laughs> on Twitter, and, and the, all the people you follow in New York City are tweeting about the squall for you know a good hour. <laughs> yeah, chicken littles running around. The sky is squalling. The sky is squalling. Yeah, yeah. got it. I understand. Yeah, so that was our <laughs> that, that was our highlight. <laughs> Well, you know, I I would love to see a squall at about 6 a.m. Christmas morning. Just come in for 30 minutes, dump a ton of snow, let it be there all Christmas Day. And then by the next day, I'd like to see it go up to 75 and just melt everything away and and then be sunny. (laughs) Just just me. I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Probably not going to happen. Probably not going to happen. Wishful thinking. Uh, Santa, you've got my list. Uh, That's that's the only thing on it. Just give me a squall and, and then 75 degree weather. Yeah. All right, so what are we doing today? I know that we are not we're not actually going to be covering like news stories this week. We're doing some sort of recap, right? Yeah, so this is um highlights from the year that was in commercial real estate. Now, you know, uh um, nice. don't there's obviously far more we could possibly talk about, you know, but we don't want to be here for hours. I don't mm-hmm. think that's the goal. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, but, but, but what we do every year here at NREI is we we do this do a little package at the end of every year that that goes through the top um stories for the industry we recap our research we we highlight some of the the most fun and engaging galleries we did during the course of the year we post all that stuff you know right around um between christmas and new year's and so what i wanted to talk a bit about today was just give a little bit of a taste for that and talk about a couple of in our in our in our gallery that we do we'll have like the top 10 stories for the year i just thought we would maybe talk about a couple here today that you know things that that we really felt you know talking among the other editors on staff about what what we thought were the the big stories for the industry in in 2019 all right let's do it 
one of those, um, which I which we I think we got to chronicle bits and pieces of it during previous episodes, is just the utter implosion of WeWork. <laughs> I mean, that was just something. And I think it's kind of it's just kind of stark sitting here today. I think versus when we were going through it and just how spectacularly and fully that that it imploded. It's just yeah, it, yeah. I remember covering it, talking a couple different podcasts about WeWork here and there. Uh, so, what, what was the overall result for 2019? I mean, I mean, I think we're still we still don't know. I mean, <laughs> I guess where we sit today is new management team IPO. Forget about it. You know, the, the, I mean, that the, the, the IPO. I mean, we we started the year with like, oh, this IPO is coming, and it's going to be this multi billion dollar IPO, and it's the culmination of this spectacular growth, and you know, they're re you know transforming the co working and office space across the country. And then, you know, as people got a peek under the hood, and even though even though before we saw under the hood, people do, like knew that the company was losing money, knew it wasn't turning a profit, but still had this tremendous faith and that it would, turned out, okay, you know, the, the guy running it was a little out there, um, that they were burning <laughs> cash, that they were investing in things all over the place, that, um, you know, valuations start crumbling, um, the investors who had seeded this thing uh, all along who were looking for the payout from the IPO suddenly that's not going to happen uh, you know changing changing executive team uh, massive layoffs now at this point and just trying to I guess and, and I, I mean we still have I think a, bu a bunch of uh, reckoning to deal with in 2020 now of so you know they're gonna have to unload some of the space. They're gonna put more vacancy back in the market in various cities across the country. We don't know fully how that's all gonna shake out, but that's 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 the shakeout. But it is just kind of stunning because I think like you know a year ago or eighteen months ago, we had some questions, but overall you know it was this growth story. <laughs> Those are so. Uh, and you think it has you know has other other implications which we'll have to sort through. Just. You know, co-working in general is a big trend. What does it mean that this big operator kind of went through all this? What does it mean for the other co-working operators who have a more stable business model and weren't looking to reinvent the world? You know, like there's still a good business there, but they will have felt some of the knock-on effects because of, of what WeWork did. Well, at the end of the day, I think it wasn't the most, it's not the most significant story for like, it's not going to massively change markets across the country mm -hmm. but it certainly was the most spectacular story the other i think other major trend which i i think which, which again we've talked about um several times but just kind of like putting it into like a, a single idea is just the move to direct to consumer sales by manufacturers you know it's just completely reshaping retail and 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 industrial and um, I think the only question is, you know, there's no question that's what's happened. You know, that's what's happened. It's gutted retail. The retailers have so many retailers have shut down, closed stores, you know, et cetera, um, created all sorts of vacancy. It's created tremendous demand for industrial space because that's how you're doing your order fulfillment. Now there are some retailers who have tried to finesse it a bit by doing order fulfillment from their stores so that they can still capture their in-person sales while also being part of the direct-to-consumer 
uh, transformation. And I think really the only question is how much more of a shakeout do we continue to have in the retail space? And how much more growth for the industrial space is there based on this systemic change in, in how we consume things? Mm-hmm. I think there's a couple of not other questions or things that, are, that, it, that it's meant um, for both the retail industrial sectors. So like the way I see it is like, okay, you have this, you know, director consumer is the, is the ultimate trend. It's doing these things to, you know, it's, it's, it's having these effects on, on both retail and industrial, then it's creating these secondary effects. Um, okay. so one is just development, uh, for, of industrial space since, um, most industrial, you look at some industrial markets, the vacancy rates are down below 2%. Um, there's just, you can't find the space. There's tremendous demand, um, because of this change in the business models. And so it's leading to, uh, more industrial development, which then, you know, at, at some point, I don't think we're there yet, but always when you, you know, get, get into this race and you start building a lot of stuff, if something, something turns all of a sudden, if some of these retail that, or, or somebody, some people start putting space back on the market, suddenly you reverse the fundamentals. Um, and then you have too much vacancy, overbuilding, et cetera. And then, you know, because the nature of development, you always have you know, it takes a certain amount of time to put stuff in the pipeline for it to be built. You put it in at a certain point. You think the market is in a certain point. If if eighteen months from now, two two years from now, things have changed a little bit, you know, those are those are the risks that are always kind of part of what happens when there's lots of development occurring. So, from what we're seeing and what we've discussed in these last few months, that doesn't actually look like it's going to slow down, right? I mean, yeah. in, in in your opinion or mine, um, from what we've seen, and and uh, so. Looks like it'll carry into 2020 and it'll continue to be a good year, hopefully. Yeah, I think it'll still, well, it'll be a good year for industrial, questionable year for retail. Mm-hmm. Um, but although I think, you know, the, the study that we did in that I talked about in the last episode, maybe people may be feeling like retail may have, we may near the end of that shakeout. I think there's a couple other trends which are ways that that retail owners have adapted to this which um have allowed some of them to to continue to be successful Mm -hmm. um one is the bringing just being very creative about the about the other kinds of tenants they're bringing into retail centers to make them to to stabilize them so that is like health fitness uh wellness you Mm -hmm. know all those kinds of um tenants where there's some sort of in-person experience or, you know, you're using the gym or your massage or spa or whatever, you know, some kind of like those kinds of things, which um, are not going to be disrupted as much by the direct to consumer trend. So like being smart about bringing in those kind of tenants to replace traditional, you know, retailers who are just selling things. And then the continued evolution of the, of the food offerings um, at, at centers, uh, both in terms of like, you know, big malls, seeing the traditional food court give way to uh, food halls, you know, more with, with more curated and higher end um, food options and not just the traditional fast food stuff. And then also the with the rise of delivery, when you've got certain, certain um, restaurants or food retailers being able to kind of do both very well. So that they yeah. can both have, you know, be a draw for people, but then also be able to serve the door dashes and, and all the other delivery services that people are using to, to order food now. 
Yeah, absolutely. It, it's having those different types of businesses in there. It's to me, it's almost a picture of diversifying, right? I mean, that's mm. people talk about diversifying portfolios for investment purposes. That's kind of the same thing you're doing. You're diversifying the different types of stores for those up and down type markets. So I think that's it's, it's a very smart idea, obviously. Yeah, and I think in in the in the past, diversification may have just meant you know make sure that you have. Uh, an apparel retailer and mm-hmm. a bookstore and an electronics thing, thing or you know, it, diversification may have used to just mean make sure you have a good mix of retail tenants. Now it means make sure you have tenants that are more service oriented or health oriented or you know that that aren't actually just selling things. So that way yeah. that like you know you have your couple of healthy stores, but you actually have other other services or other amenities that people will be interested in using yeah absolutely you've got that uh, 31 flavors right next to the the gym yeah, exactly perfect, perfect combo perfect symbi- <laughs> symbiosis yeah just keep going back and forth that's right that's right <laughs> somebody's getting business that's all there is to it i just i think the the third and final i think big picture trend that we talk about is just and it could conceptualize in a similar way which is there is an overall quest for yield. So investors in real estate are, be, you know, we're, we're very deep in this cycle, as we've, as we've talked about many times. We're almost a decade into a growth cycle. Uh, core markets are played out. Uh, core real estate, stabilized real estate is insane. It's very expensive, and you're competing against a lot of buyers. So if you want to find yields, on your, you know, if you're if you're trying to achieve a certain yield on your real estate investments, you we've seen just a tremendous amount of creativity among investors to be able to to try to get that. Which and what that has meant concretely is more and more activity outside of the core U.S. markets and investment in secondary and tertiary markets. Um, so, you know, buying when you can buy. As a similar quality asset that you would get in New York, you know, something that's got good rents, um, good, you know, high quality piece of real estate with good, awesome tenants and paying rents and great leases. But you buy it, you know, but you find it in another market where there may be less buyers who are looking at that, you know, because it's not called New York City. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's been one diversification play, which we just certainly, it's just Born out in the numbers, you look at secondary and tertiary market activity, more investors that maybe a couple of years ago would not have been comfortable buying in smaller U.S. cities or more suburban markets are doing that uh, so they can achieve those yields. And then I think this uh, a second way that we're seeing diversification manifest itself is investment in property types outside of the core property types. You know, we talk about multifamily, industrial, office, retail. See the the percent of investment activity that's taking place now in data centers, self-storage, seniors housing, student housing, um, things like that, you know, maybe a couple others, but primarily those. Just you're seeing that they have, while still, you know, I think, you know, the core property types probably still account for something, I want to say like eighty-five percent of activity. You know, those alternatives are now up to like fifteen percent. Um, they used to be maybe less than ten percent a few years ago. So mm-hmm. you know, those are not exact numbers, but I mean, the general, the generally what I've seen in the research and in the volumes that we're seeing, um, yeah, the, it's a similar idea that 
core core you know people if you want to find yields maybe you know delving into these property types that you've never done before where there may be fewer people vying for it but where the fundamentals are similar or or better than they are for the core property types yeah yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, I know we wanted to do a short recap today, uh, but you've got your top 10 list. Where can people find that if they want to go to and, and take a look at all of them? Yeah, so all this will be on nreionline.com. We'll have the top 10 stories for the year, like I said, and then, you know, the recap of galleries, the recap of all of our proprietary research that we've done across the year. I think there's uh, 11 or 12 reports that, that um, will be centrally linked in the one spot. So uh, folks can yeah just look out for that as our part of our end of year and end of decade wrap up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, on that note, happy new year, David. Same to you. I appreciate the time and uh, I look forward to talking to you again after the first of the year. Sounds good. All right. That'll be fantastic. And thank you all for listening to the Common Area Podcast with David Bodemer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Again, thanks so much for listening today. For everyone at NREI, this is Eric Johnson inviting you back next year for all the stories that matter to you. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of NREI or Informa. The content has been made available for information and educational purposes only.